Ahoy Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And we're recording this on a really weird uh, night of, uh, of Mets baseball. So we're recording this on Wednesday, the 4th of September. So last night, at just about this time, the Mets blew a six-run lead in the ninth to lose 11-10 to the Washington Nationals. Then today, the Mets beat the Nationals. Was it eight to four? Chris, I believe was the final score. Um, Does that sound right to you? Yeah, it does. Yeah, what? because there were a lot of allusions to: uh, <laughs> Are they going to make it ten four? And is that going to feel bad? Right. Um, yes, it was eight four. I've confirmed so, it is eight four. Yeah, so that never happened. Uh, so instead of going up ten four and blowing a lead in historically epic fashion. Uh, they only went up eight four, late, and it remained that way. So, yeah, yeah. Um, so anyway, last night in the multiverse, in the uh, God, I'm confusing my the websites I work for in the Amazing <laughs> Avenue Slack. Um, <laughs> there were lots of allusions to the season being over. That this is it. The Mets can't come back from this. This is uh, this is going to be emblematic of the way this season's going to end. I know you made such claims. I know I made such claims. 24 hours later, having taken two of three of the Nationals, having taken six of, uh, sorry, four of six from the Phillies and the Nationals on this road trip thus far, do you still feel like the season is over right now because of last night's game? (sighs) So it'd be easier to say yes if they also lost today, which, to be clear, I wasn't rooting for. Right. But time uh, is not on their side. That's no, it's the not. Thing, that's the thing that gets me. And I don't know. I, the other teams, the other three teams, the Phillies, the Diamondbacks, and the Brewers, uh, the Mets could finish ahead of all of them. That's obviously possible. You know, I, I think I think one of the other teams lost today when the Mets won. Um, I, I, whether or not that's completely accurate, it's a game difference, really, between all four of them. But they could finish ahead of those teams, and all those teams can do as much as they can. But if the Cubs don't lose five more games than the rest of them, then the rest of them can't do anything about it. So that that's kind of what gets me. So you have the two points getting swept by the Cubs, really set them back, uh, and also gave the Cubs three wins that set everybody else in the wild card race back. Um, but emotionally, take... <laughs> I mean, it was very nice that they came back, and and it was a day game, so way less than 24 hours later, they come back, they win a game uh, relatively easily. Um, Jerry's familiar wanted to make it interesting, but... Yeah, so it's just... The the way they lost, I think, is why it felt so much like, well, that's it. Um, Not only did they do something that was widely pointed out as being the first time they had done it in 807 instances of of having that large of a lead that late in a game uh, and losing for the first time in franchise history. Um, I, I think it was a combination of the, the rarity of it and the fact that the bullpen looked so incredibly bad and, and lost a game that they shouldn't have lost. And then even today... Familia reminded you that the one-two punch at the back end of this bullpen has just been abysmal this year. And to be clear, I was totally on board with Diaz. I was fine with the Familia signing. Um, On paper, I don't blame the Mets for thinking last winter that this could be a formidable back end of the bullpen. But my gripe was that they didn't have enough besides besides those guys um and that's turned out to be true it just so happens that they both suck (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so I, I was thinking about this a lot. I was thinking about whether or like so if if last night's game had gone and the Mets had won ten to four, and then today the Mets lost. It doesn't matter. Two to one, one hundred to one. I don't think anybody would be saying the season is over today. It was it was the way in which they lost the game last night that had everybody, you know, um, that had everybody, you know, declaring that this is the end of the of the run. And while like emotionally, I understand that. I think that. Ultimately, two wins against the Nationals is good. We are not at the place yet in the season, and we'll get there soon enough where they literally can't lose any more games. We are still in a place where winning the series is about the best that we can hope for in any given series. Unless they're playing like the Marlins series, I think we have to, you know, you need to sweep the Marlins in that, in that instance. But I think otherwise, you're, we're still in a place where if you can take two of three, you're in good shape. And so they did that. And I think that it's much less surprising that the bullpen blew a game than if McNeil went up, went, came up lame again or Alonzo went down or, you know, DeGrom looked like shit last night. Like, there are so many things that could have happened that I think are worse for the team because they are unknown at the moment versus just reinforcing the thing we already knew, which is the bullpen is bad. Um, that does not mean that, that that alleviates it from stress or that knowing the bullpen's bad and then it proving that does some sort of magical thing where where now it's all okay. I'm not saying that. I just think that as bad as last night was, hopefully there was nothing new. I don't, hopefully is the wrong word. I don't think there was anything new learned about this team last night. And so I don't feel significantly worse about the team going forward than I did before last night, except that we have one more really shitty data point. Does that make any sense? Yeah, it does. Although my reaction to that game was more negative. Uh, <laughs> since the break, we've seen what the Mets could look like despite that bullpen or with that bullpen performing better. So I don't want to say we've gotten accustomed to it because it hasn't been long enough for that, but we've seen what it looks like when they can win, even though that is clearly their biggest weakness. So saying, okay, yeah, that's the biggest weakness. We knew that already. That makes sense. And you just kind of have to hope that it's not going to be the thing that kills them every time there's a big spot from here through the end of the season. Uh, and especially, you know, it's an, it's an off day on Thursday this week, and then they go into probably the most seven, the, or sorry, the seven most important games of their season uh, because they're both series against teams that are in the wild card hunt with them. So... Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get it. Um, the rotation has been still good, um, but maybe a little more up and down. The combination of Syndergaard having a terrible start and then an amazing one. Uh, Wheeler kind of being a little more pedestrian lately. Uh, Stroman hasn't quite hit his stride as a Met. Those stats from the all-star break on uh, looked really good in the middle of August. Overall, they still look good now, but if the offense can do what it can do uh, and, and we know what it's capable of, and if the rotation can be a little more like that dominant uh, best rotation in baseball kind of rotation, then the bullpen being bad, and I hate to say this because it'll probably happen a couple more times, but it can't come back to bite you that many times. Like, I didn't think they were going to lose the disaster game until 
and, and maybe this is just naive on my part, but when they had second and third, Diaz had already given up the two-run double. So it's 10-8, uh, second and third, one out. And I thought, all right, they're going to send it to extra innings, and then who knows what happens. Uh, and then instead the game ended. But even with this bullpen, the chance of that happening again is extraordinarily remote. And, and yeah. Uh, so for me, it's just the number of games left, uh, the number of games that they have between them and the Cubs. That's what concerns me. I do not think, and feel free to at me on Twitter if, I, if I'm wrong, <laughs> but I, I do not think they are going to cough up a six-run lead. I won't even say the ninth inning. I'll say seventh inning beyond. I don't think that's going to happen again this season. I mean, it's never happened again in the prior 50-something seasons, you know? <laughs> so I don't disagree with you like if, on, on that specific data point. Right. I I mean part of this is is tempered by the fact that a month and a half ago maybe 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 two months let's say let's say before the all-star break for sure I never would have thought that the Mets were in this position at this point in the season. Did you think that? Oh, absolutely not. So part of this is I have this like this um residual optimism from the fact that we're even here, right? And so, to me, it's not too much more of a of a. Uh, I'm not going too much more out on a limb, thinking, "Oh, the Mets can come back from this," because I'm already so far out the limb. If that makes sense, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And and so I don't feel. Basically, my hope is not all lost. Although I would. I would be absolutely shocked if the Mets made the playoff game. Um, absolutely shocked. Whereas, you know, a week or two ago, I would not have been as shocked because they were playing just much better baseball overall. But I, I am I am legitimately curious to see how we're going to feel if the Mets have a good homestand. So the Mets have a 10-game homestand against the Phillies, uh, Dodgers, and Diamondbacks, correct? Not in that order. I believe it's... Phillies, right, Diamondbacks, Dodgers. Phillies for three, Diamondbacks for four, Dodgers for three. And then coming off of that, I will be at the series opener in Colorado. Oh, uh, wow. Yeah. So that'll be an interesting – they'll be better than, Rock, better than the Rockies yeah. at that point. I can guarantee that. <laughs> so to your point, you know, two months ago roughly uh, – I thought it was going to kind of be a, a, a contest for second worst in the, <laughs> the National <laughs> League. By the time we got to that series, obviously it won't be that. Um, I think they have put themselves in a spot. They, they cannot afford to lose more than one game to the Phillies and Diamondbacks combined. And uh, I think they're going to be mathematically in it until at least that Marlins series at home in the final week. Um, Four-game series starts on the 23rd. I don't think they'll be eliminated by then, but I think they will need some crazy shit to happen. And that's just enough to keep us, you know, totally locked in and, and tuned in and emotionally attached and then who knows what happens. Yeah. Yeah. So you so you're saying that you think that the Mets have to sweep either the Phillies or the um or the Diamondbacks and take two of three or three of four as it is with those two teams. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much because let's just assume the Cubs give these teams an opportunity to to overtake them if they don't do it to the Phillies and Diamondbacks themselves where are the losses coming from for the other teams that's an excellent question because you come off of that and then obviously the Dodgers are going to be a tough opponent um, 
without looking at exactly who the Phillies and Diamondbacks play, it, it's one of these things that anything is possible. Uh, a couple weeks ago, to demonstrate the insanity of a team, not even necessarily your team, but a team making the playoffs, uh, a friend of a friend, uh, they're all co-workers, but uh, there was an argument in their office over whether or not the Baltimore Orioles could make the playoffs. <laughs> uh, and it, w- it was based upon their elimination number and then also the schedules of all the teams that w- were ahead of them, which is all of the teams. But one of the people involved in that conversation sat down and plotted out in a spreadsheet all of the exact things that would have to happen for the Orioles to make the playoffs and which teams would have to beat which and and all this. And there was a mathematical possibility of it all. Wow. Yeah. So that's the thing that happened in an office in Manhattan. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But but my, my, my point with that is you can play it out. You can you can find that crazy combination of things to make that happen. And even if the Mets split, um, well, it's it's an odd number of games. But even if they go three and four, or four and three, the closest thing to a split they can get in those two series, you may be able at the end of that to to plot out exactly what needs to happen where the Mets could still make it, but. I think they have to, you know, it's going to be, um, it's going to be Friday, September 13th when they wake up coming off that Diamondbacks series. They have to be ahead of the Diamondbacks. They have to be ahead of the Phillies at that point, because then at least whatever the Brewers are doing, you, you only have the Brewers and Cubs to deal with. Um, this many teams feels a little daunting right now in a week or a week and a couple of days, it'll feel exponentially more so. So that, that that's where I'm at. No pressure, Mets. You have to win seven games in a row. <laughs> <laughs> it would be eight, including today, but yeah, seven more games in a row or six out of seven. Okay. So let's, let's give ourselves a hypothetical here. Okay. Hypothetically, the Mets are going to win the games that you have laid out they have to win. They're going to wind up, after playing the Diamondbacks and the Phillies, ahead of both of those teams. If that's the case, what would you do if you were Mickey Calloway? And the answer can't just be, you know, manage the team better, because obviously you would do that, Chris. I have no doubt that you would be a better manager than Mickey Calloway. Oh, thank um, you. Uh, uh, same, same to you. <laughs> thank you. Um what would be your sort of overall plan to try and get the team to be in the best place it can be to compete from there on out? So, like, for instance, would you shake up the bullpen? Would you be playing certain players or not be playing certain players? You know, what are the things that you think you would have to do to sustain this run? Uh, so at the beginning of the question, my not entirely serious answer was going to be resign. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But but assuming that I'm making Callaway and I'm I'm keeping my job through the end of the season, which obviously is happening at this point. um, Yeah, I I think I would play. The ironic thing about the disastrous loss is that they scored so many runs that you couldn't really chalk that loss up to um, putting out a B lineup. Right. Even though you and I had talked before the, before the game and we're like, Oh, they're going to lose this game. Look at that lineup. Right. Right. So they go out and they score a bunch of runs and they, yeah, there cannot be another B lineup if they're in that spot from, you know, roughly a week from now. Uh, If they're in that spot that, the regulars have to play unless somebody's injured and that that's a different story, but Alonzo McNeil, Conforto, Rosario Davis, 
that's five guys. Uh, the way Nimmo's looked, I'd throw him into the mix. Cano, I'm okay with. Uh, the fact that he's playing at all is somewhat of a, a miracle coming off a torn hamstring. Um, I'm okay with giving him some days off and sort of mixing in either McNeil at second or Panic at second. That That's fine. But those five guys have to play every day, and... Wilson Ramos has to play most of them. And yeah, that that's the biggest thing. I don't know if there's a way to reshuffle the bullpen that that kind of that works. Um, just hope you win some games by a lot of runs so Seth Lugo can rest and then the games that you don't, <laughs> he pitches all of them. <laughs> um, and I think with pitchers, you have to be more conscious of burning them out. This year and the effect that has on future years with position players, uh, aside from, I'd say freak injuries, really would be the kind of thing that could keep a position player out for a long time. But as close as you can get to that line of running those guys into the ground, they've just they've got to play, because at that point of the season, if you work them hard and they're kind of spent by the last weekend and things don't work out. They have the entire off season to recuperate. Um, so yeah, I, on a, on a personal level, I root for Luis Guillaume a lot. He should not start another game this season. Agreed with that. Um, Ligares can't play that much as a starter. Um, Tomas Nito should not start a game. I don't really understand why a month before, and it, it, like I hate that the reason that he wound up losing playing time was that he got hit hard in the head with a baseball bat. Right. Like nobody's rooting for that. The Mets should have made a decision independent of that of that and said, "Hey, Rene Rivera probably makes more sense as the backup," but. Like that's who I want to play when Ramos needs a day off. So, yeah, yeah, that that's where I'm at. Uh, the crazy concept of just play your best players every day, and then the bullpen. Just hope that you can manage to get to Wilson and Lugo, and Avalon's been really good too. Um, but you hope that those three can get you through, and everybody else doesn't blow it. Yeah, I'm going to add one very specific addition to that if I were in the shoes that I've put you in, which is regardless of off days or anything else, DeGrom and Syndergaard pitch every fifth day. Mm. Um, you have yeah. to you have to maximize the number of starts those guys are giving you. Yeah, absolutely. Um yeah, that's a good point. That even with Syndergaard not being great the last couple of weeks, or, or being up and down rather the last couple of weeks. Yeah, um, and it was really only the last couple of starts. I mean, since the All Star break, he's still been ace level, despite the one totally bad start. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Um, and yeah, that's no disrespect to Stroman and uh, or Mats or Wheeler, or Wheeler but. If you if you put this rotation on paper, it's very clear who the one and two are. Yes, and and those guys are also the guys that tend to go deepest into the games. So if you if you can sneak an extra start out of out of each of them, that's a hopefully another couple of innings you don't have to throw Paul fucking Seawald out there. <laughs> well, that's a nickname. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know. So I would do that. I would also make a a couple of like sweeping generalizations that I think both of our managerial tenures would would uh feature things like position players don't bunt unless in very extreme situations yeah uh Cindergard doesn't bunt he can't do it so you know you let Cindergard <laughs> swim um yeah. you know I would uh 
I don't know if I'd mess with the lineup much. You know, we there's been a lot of smarter people than me who have argued that lineup construction doesn't really matter. Um, and I think that overall, like batting Alonso second is a pretty good thing. That you know, I'm I'm sort of shocked they're still doing that this deep into the season. Um, so I don't know if I'd mess with the lineup too much. Um, I think I would change the hierarchy of who comes off the bench when. Um, in terms of pinch hitting, like for, first of all, you know I know that his hitting streak ended today. We should all raise our glasses and say Lachaim to Wilson Ramos for an incredible twenty-six game hit streak. Good for you, man. But now that you have three catchers on the on the roster, in a big spot, he if he's not starting, he has to be your primary pinch hitter off the bench, right? Oh yeah, yeah. I think I think so. I mean, he he proved he. I think three or four of the hits in the hit streak were in pitch hitting appearances, and not even like he pinch hit, got an out, and then stayed in the game. I mean, when he came to bat to pinch hit, he got a hit. Yeah. So there is nobody off your bench that's going to be a bigger threat than Ramos. So in a big spot, Ramos should be your guy if he's not the one starting the game. Uh, as you said, Rene Rivera should start any game that Tomas Nito was supposed to start. Tomas Nito is is essentially your emergency catcher slash last man off the bench. Yeah. Um, if Jed Lowry comes back, which I, I will believe it when I see it, I don't care what they tell me. I don't care how close he is until I see him on the field in a uniform in the starting lineup or take the field. I do not believe he's actually a Met. Um, but if if he is a Met, uh, I am all for finding him some places to play. You cannot find him places to play at the expense of J.D. Davis or uh, Jeff McNeil. Yeah. He can replace Frazier. He can take a bats away from Panic. He can take a bats away from Cano. I'm fine with all of that. J.D. Davis and Jeff McNeil are too valuable to this team right now to let somebody get the cobwebs dusted off in their place. Yeah, fair enough. Can't do it. Um, let's see. What are my other rules here? Um, I mean, I think that's pretty much it. You know, the, the frustrating part about this is for the cost of couple of players like you know for essentially for the cost of the contract tendered to uh Travis Darno the Mets could have added 3 to 4 bullpen pieces and we might be having a very different conversation today yeah i know that that is definitely the biggest uh frustration for me was that obviously the 2018 season went wrong in a whole lot of ways but Things that were talked about by fans uh, all winter turned out to be things that were actually problems for the Mets all summer. Yes. <laughs> like, that shouldn't be how it goes. Um, obviously, I'm not saying that popular opinion among fans should make all roster decisions, but if you have people who aren't doing it professionally, making a point and the professionals not listening to that point and then being wrong. Um, that's not how it's supposed to work. Yeah. It, it, they should be doing something better. It, I don't know. It, we, we see these things that are obvious flaws, obvious, um, using, overusing the word, word obvious here, but it, there are things out there publicly there's a lot of information about baseball that's out there publicly and it's not as much as what teams have access to or what they develop internally and that's fine but there's no way the teams aren't looking at this and saying oh yeah the bullpen's really a shit show like we we really need to do more and yet not doing enough about it and I'm sure there's budgetary reasons uh, in the case of the Mets. But if you can look at fan graphs and say, hey, this is a big problem and I think they need to address it. And you know they have more information than we have. And they still don't address it adequately. <laughs> that is 
a very frustrating thing to feel. The one thing I will say in addition to all of that is that I would really hope that after this season, there is no way the Mets don't go out this offseason and overhaul their bullpen. You would think. Maggie tweeted today. Take Maggie Wigan, our, our amazing Avenue compatriot. Yes. I, <laughs> I just assume Maggie is like a, a single name, name entity. Share, yeah. Prince, Seal, Maggie. Yeah. I like that Seal made it into the in, into that <laughs> cut. Um, but Maggie tweeted at some point, either during or after the win today, take this team, get a you know get a starting pitcher to put into the rotation because we know they have four uh, under control for next year, but not five. But get get somebody who's okay to put into the, ro- the rotation and invest seriously in the bullpen and then leave the position player side intact and this could be a special team and i agree that that's like it's an early um oh jesus what drawing a blank on the the off-season contest aop there we go (laughs) it's like it's the simplest formula for an aop um and yet i couldn't agree more it's just do that. Just treat the bullpen like it's an emergency and go out and Which sign it guys. Is. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, regardless of what Diaz makes when he hits, you know, when they get through arbitration for his first year of it, um, we know Familia is making 10 a year, roughly. Um, Wilson, on the other hand, looks like, a bargain for five, but just go out there and, and sign guys and, and don't put yourself in a spot that you have to have innings that are pitched by Seawald and Bachelor and uh, Maza. Right, Maza and Rame and all that. Like, all of those guys could be a good story if they work out it individually. They shouldn't be pitching half of your innings in a season that you actually wound up contending for something. Right. I mean, the most glaring example is just that for nothing other than money, they could have had Craig Kimbrell once they realized the bullpen was a problem. Like, I'm not going to get mad at them for not going after Adam Adovino or whoever they should have gone after in the offseason, right? Because that's... You couldn't have known how bad Diaz and Familia were going to be, right? You couldn't have known that. But by the time that they could have gone out and got Kimbrell, they knew how bad the bullpen was, and they still didn't do it. To me, that's the most insulting part of all of this. Yeah, yeah. And I I know Kimbrell has struggled, but that doesn't take away from it. He he didn't struggle like them. Yeah, uh, no, he is not. And uh, <laughs> um, I also think if you looked at it and and said, "Hey, it's spring training," you bring him in. I think he'd be in a better spot to succeed. Uh, the, there was nothing about his 2018 season. Sure, it wasn't his best, but his best was otherworldly. You know, right? <laughs> There's nothing about that season that would indicate to you that he wasn't going to be good or above average or or however you want to phrase it he he was going to be uh something other than a very useful part of a bullpen so yeah yeah and and so what i was going to say was that you know obviously we all want our teams to win right now but i think it's pretty easy to look at this mets team and say Holy shit! There, there's three or four years worth of worth of contention here if they just supplement the core with the right type of players around them. The sad thing is, I have zero confidence they're going to do that, and yet it has never been easier to identify who is part of the core. 
Like, oh, yeah. You know, it, it was one of the things that we talk about every year. Like, you know, is so-and-so's – can so-and-so take the next step next year? Every single person who we asked, will they be able to take the next step, took the next step. Some took the next step to extraordinary degrees. Yeah. Nobody saw Alonso being this good this young. Nobody saw McNeil being this consistent of a hitter. I mean, McNeil's had a rough couple of weeks. But even with a rough couple of weeks, he's ba- he's still batting, what is it, uh, 320? If you told me at the start of the season McNeil's going to bat 320, I'd think fantastic. Not even knowing right. he with- was going to bat 340 for a good chunk of the season. And with power. Yes. Yeah, 324 at the end of the day today with 18 home runs. Yeah. Like, you know, it's so clear who the who the future is going to be built around. All the Mets have to do is not step on their dicks and do this. And I have <laughs> no confidence they're not going to do that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it goes back uh, at some point between a week ago and now. Buster Olney had the tweet of, uh, oh, all well, the executives thought the Mets were stupid for not trading their players and the lost future value. And then we, we tweeted sarcastically like, Oh, love to love to T O O root for future value to play for my team. Right. But the, the obsession with value in baseball, um, we're certainly not the first ones to say it's gone overboard, but it has the, the Mets have, the value aspect of things. They have, sure, DeGrom is signed to a market rate extension uh, once it starts to go up after this year. That's fine. He's Jacob DeGrom. Um, You still have Syndergaard making less than he's worth. You have Alonzo, McNeil, Conforto, Rosario, Davis, all making way less than they're worth. The Mets have heaps of value. They don't need to chase value anymore. They need to bring in players who are really, really good because they already have the value side of things. They're going to get as much production out of the bottom, you know, the bottom half or bottom quarter of, of the their payroll, payroll yeah. as they are out of the top half or top quarter, however you want to split it. But they already have that. So it doesn't matter. When you go into this offseason, if Garrett Cole takes uh, two years more than you're comfortable with, who cares? Because McNeil and Alonzo uh, and and some of the other guys, too, but they are going to make up for whatever you may overpay Cole five years from now. And the difference between Garrett Cole and Zach Wheeler in terms of a 2020 rotation option is it's an it's orders of magnitude you're dealing with one of the best pitchers in the game and a guy who occasionally looks like he might be a number three (laughs) i'm a little higher on wheeler than you are but your point is well taken yeah well a number three in a rotation with syndergaard and degrom to be fair you know but yeah I like Zach Wheeler. I'd, I'd love for him to stick around uh, in, in isolation, but I don't know. You, you, you don't. I don't want to say stumble upon because that's probably it's probably not generous enough. If they drafted McNeil and Alonzo, they developed them. Uh, they've rightfully as an organization gotten criticism for not developing position players very well. But these two seem to have been pretty damn good. Uh, not, al- not, not only that, but you got to look at, I mean, Brandon Nimmo is yep. developed from within. Michael Conforto is developed from within. Yeah. Even Dom Smith. Even Juan Lagares. There is value in all those players. Yeah. So, yeah. You, it's been fair 
I mean, it's been accurate to say the organization hasn't done it well historically. But now that they did it well and they have starting pitching and position players who they brought up and developed and graduated to the major leagues in a very successful way, like just damn, just just go do it. Go try. Nobody cares if you technically have to pay luxury tax before you get your insurance money back. <laughs> Nobody cares. Although I hope they're collecting a lot less in insurance next year and Ioannis Cespedes is back out there playing on an everyday basis because that's a lot of fun. I mean... That is that that also creates a major logjam in the lineup, but that's a problem I'm willing to deal with. Yes, I've really tried to stop worrying about that. I've tried to stop worrying about the there's too many good players playing. Right, but I think my years of playing fantasy baseball have warped my brain, where I think like, <laughs> well, if Cespedes starts a game over Nimmo, and Nimmo was going to hit three doubles that day. Then, then he's on my bench, and I don't get those doubles. Like that's not how baseball works, but it's how right. fantasy baseball works. But you know, so that's how my brain just uh, defaults to at this point. Yeah. Um. So, final question before we get to our music picks: If the team is not going to contend for the postseason, aside from health, and maybe Alonso beating the all-time rookie record, that's just a fun thing. For home runs. Oh, yeah. What are you rooting for the last few weeks of the season? Uh, I mean, DeGrom has a legitimate chance at the Cy Young. It would help if his manager didn't hang him out to dry on nights where he was clearly gassed, despite being one of the best pitchers in baseball, and he gives up a couple more runs that were unnecessary, costing him ERA. Uh, <laughs> and possibly the game. The team possibly yeah. the game. Oh, no, no. I mean, that, that definitely played into it. Um but yeah, that that's my other thing. The rookie home run record would definitely be cool, and then Degrom really making a push, and uh, and winning Cy Young um, or winning the Cy Young. Uh, that that would be my other thing. So yeah, I think the only thing that I'll maybe add to that is the. Uh, I think it'll be really fun for uh Cano to have a really good last few weeks just because like I and we can we can go back and have lots of discussions about whether or not you would make that trade today etc cetera, etc cetera. but we have Cano for the next 4 years after this season it's much better for everybody if he's playing well and so I would like to see him have a couple more days like he had today where he just looks absolutely dominant and can sufficiently silence critics for a few weeks and maybe just show that this isn't the dumbest move the Mets ever made. Because there are people out there who surely believe that. And while Diaz has been disappointing and Cano's been disappointing, we still don't know what Jared Kalanick is. Right. Oh, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, and that's not me saying that I want them to uh, that that I, that I would go back and do that trade again. I really don't know if I would, but I still think that because we have him here, let's just enjoy let's let's enjoy having him. Let's enjoy having him here. Yeah, I'm on board with that. All right. So, uh, what's your music pick for this week, Chris? So I don't think I'm being redundant. Uh, so the OCs or OCs as they're going by now, uh, the album they put out this year, Face Stabber. <laughs> um, uh, not even this year; they put it out last month. Uh, that that's that's my go-to. And as somebody who is constantly praised, uh, King Gizzard for putting out a lot of albums and doing it really well. Uh, I don't say this lightly, but the run that OCs have been on with their last few records is pretty remarkable. Um, and I tend to not think that it's not the stuff I listen to the most, but damn, it's good. 
to go on a run of putting out four or five albums in a row that just nail it. Uh, well, for, for folks who aren't familiar with OC's music, how would you describe their music? Oh, boy. Uh, <laughs> um, I would say the the soul of it is rooted in punk. And the album that I'm recommending has two songs that are over 14 minutes long each. <laughs> so if that makes any kind of sense... That is that is sort of what this band is. I, I I don't. There are like cliche phrases that are coming to mind that I don't even want to use, but yeah, I'll stick with that. A band that has its origins in punk, but can play a song that is interesting for in fourteen or twenty-one minutes. Um, yeah, yeah. The they actually first came to my attention because they were on a Grand Theft Auto uh, soundtrack on one of the radio stations in, I think, GTA Five. Wow. So it, it was a band that I had heard of or whatever, but, you know, I'm out there in my stolen, highly modified whatever car. <laughs> and to GTA's credit, they have radio stations that are, you know, across the spectrum of music. And like the punk rock station that I would put on in my fake car in my PlayStation was was one that would play them. Uh, I I think that was how I first heard a song of theirs that I was um, paying attention to. But they've grown since then um, musically and. And yeah, so Face Stabber is just sort of the most recent incarnation of something that's been going on now for the last several years. Um, I will say it's a record I wouldn't put on at all times in all moods, but when you're feeling it, it is really, really good. So, yeah. All right. Yeah, uh, there are so many good OCs, the OCs songs. It's insane. Like somebody uh, that I'm friends with on, uh, I guess it's Facebook maybe, posted like they made a, uh, they made their friend uh, a playlist to like convince them that they should be listening to the OCs. And if you listen to this playlist, there's like a random person who I don't even know. It's like a friend of a friend made it. Like every song was a banger, and they're just so great. Highly recommended. Yeah. Uh, so I, I always try and present something a little bit different than what you're uh, presenting, because that makes the picks interesting. So I'm going to pick an album that uh, is, uh, gosh, 16 years old now, I guess. It's a record I first heard when I was in college, um, and it's an album I really love, and uh, uh, one of the songs randomly popped up on Spotify the other day, and it made me sit down and re-listen to this album. And I don't think I've ever talked about it. It would be very random if I did. It's an album called Reconstruction Site by the band The Weaker Thans. Uh, the Weaker okay. Bands are a Canadian, uh, now defunct Canadian band from Winnipeg. Um, they got their start. The lead singer, John K. Sampson, was in the band Propagandi, which I feel like a lot of people know the name of because it's a hilarious band name, but probably don't know P- Propagandi's music that well. Um, but the Weaker Bands are, I would say, in the same sort of realm as like uh, the Mountain Goats in terms of being like a lyrics first band even i'm sure they wouldn't think of themselves that way but sort of people recognize them for their lyrical content i think more than their musical one and they're you know they're an indie rock band with a little bit of maybe like a country rock tinge to them occasionally there's a lap steel played in the band uh but the album reconstruction site is sort of a, a concept record about uh somebody being in the hospital and dying and that's heavy obviously but the songs aren't really like if, I don't think any individual song necessarily comes off as sounding depressing or anything, but when taken sort of in this uh, in this package, you can see the thematic resonance there. And there's there are three songs throughout the record: the first, seventh, and fourteenth songs that are uh, the the song titles are are in parentheses, and all those parenthetical songs share a melody, and those are the ones that are more more than anything about sort of the 
the hospital situation and the, the person uh, dying. Um, but uh, you know, not to make this too depressing and about me, but as somebody who recently who has lost a few family members recently to some chronic illnesses, there are some lyrics in this album that are very very special and very important to me. But there's also like it has um, one of my favorite like modern day love songs, and it's like a punk love song. But there's a there's a line in there that the singer says, uh, "You tell me to fuck off when I need somebody to," and that's a really nice sentiment to send out to a loved one that someone can like call you on your shit. Um, there's the first in what's now a trilogy of songs about a cat named Vertute, which is a great song. It's called A Plea from a Cat Named Vertute. It's a fantastic song. Um, there's a song about Antarctica, and as a guy whose brother goes to Antarctica with relative frequency, that's a, that's a rarity. Uh, yeah. There's a really beautiful <laughs> song about how much does the songwriter hates Winnipeg, but it's really a song about how much he loves Winnipeg. It's it's a really, it's a really, really great album, and there's, there's, there's songs that will stick with you, uh, the, I think there are certain bands like maybe the Hold Steady fall into this category too, where the singer's voice can make or break your enjoyment of it. Uh, Mountain Goats are certainly that way. I think they might be Giants maybe are that way. And I feel like uh, John K. Sampson has a, a bit of a nasal voice, but but he's I think the best singer of those bands I just mentioned. But his voice is not everybody's cup of tea, so perhaps that will turn you off from it. But I would recommend everybody go out there and listen to uh, just to take the first five songs in this album five no, let's, let's say six first six songs none of these songs is over four minutes long so those six songs shouldn't even take you 25 minutes or so one of them is less than two minutes long and i can't imagine listening to those six songs and not finding something you like there so listen to reconstruction set by the weaker Thens and face stabber by ocs it is face stabber right uh it is yes okay it sounded wrong coming out of my mouth but <laughs> it's not a word you say all the time no it's not so anyway thank you guys for listening as always we appreciate it uh we hope you stick with us on the rest of this crazy mets journey and we hope the next week we're coming off an eight game winning streak and uh and we can you know start talking about buying playoff tickets so until then Please go to amazingavenue.com. You can find all of our wonderful sister podcasts there, as well as game recaps, minor league reports, lots of lots of just great stuff. You know, there are some minor league teams in the playoffs right now, so there's always fun stuff to be checked out. And right now, our minor league staff, who always do a great job, are doing an especially great job. So check them out. You can also find the site on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. You can find this podcast at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify. Uh, megaphone anywhere you get podcasts you can probably find it where when you do find it please rate review and subscribe to it those things help us out quite a bit uh chris is on uh twitter at chris mcshane i am on twitter at brian needs a nap you can email us aa audio podcast at gmail.com and until next time let's go next.